It has been a joy to worship with you through song and through baptism, and now I'd like to invite you to worship with us through the Word. If you've not done so already, will you grab a listening guide, get out a pen, Bible in hand? Um, and I would ask, during this time while we're getting ready here, I'd also like to say a warm welcome to those of you who are joining us online or on TV. We're glad you're here with us today. Um, more than anything, I really just want to congratulate um, these young men and women on their achievement, on their significant accomplishment of completing their high school education. You know, it takes a long time to move from kindergarten all the way up through your high school years. Um, graduates, I imagine you have matured quite a bit in that amount of time. You know, maybe you started kindergarten with a Spider-Man backpack or an Elsa and Anna backpack, and, and now you're up to a North Face backpack. You've come a long way. Um, parents, I also want to congratulate you. It, it takes a lot to um, invest in and help them along the way. So much so, you guys are great parents, actually. You didn't even know this, but in ninth grade, right, all of a sudden during the COVID pandemic, you became your students' classmates, you became their gym teachers, you became their full-time lunch services. You have made a significant investment in each and every one of their lives. One of my favorite things about our graduate celebration here at Ingleside so far has been that during our banquet on Monday night and today during our service, we've gotten to recognize both where you've come from and where you're going. I love to hear about the way that the Lord is sending you out, is gonna send you to different universities or to different careers and what God's will, his individual will is for your life. But one thing I wanna do this morning is remind you as well of God's general will for all of us as believers in Jesus Christ. So we don't only congratulate and celebrate this morning, but we can also commission and send you out knowing part of God's will for each and every one of you as believers in Jesus Christ. So go ahead and join me this morning. Your commission this morning, graduates, you guys can write it in, is that by God's power, we work to look like Christ so that we may shine in a dark world. In our text today from Philippians chapter 2, we're going to see that this commission comes straight from the words of Scripture. That we are to be like Christ so that we may be lights in the midst of our generation. Go ahead and look with me at Philippians chapter 2 verse 12. It says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence... Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Here we see that Paul is telling us and he's calling us as Christians. He's saying, Christians, you are called to work out what God has worked in. We are to work out what God has worked in. You notice in verses 12 through 13, he talks about this. He talks about how we are to being called to work out our salvation. But he also says God is at work in us. Now, this might sound like a contradiction. You might be thinking to yourself, well, aren't we saved by faith alone, by grace alone? Doesn't Paul teach us that in Scripture? 
I would say, yeah, he does. But it's not a contradiction because for us to work out something, we first have to have it. Take a uh, basketball coach, for example. For a basketball coach to work out his basketball team, what does he need? He needs a team. Without a team, he can't work them out. He can stand there with his whistle. He can blow it all he wants. But if he has no team, no one is running the sprints. In the same way, Paul is telling us here, you have to work out your salvation. You work from your salvation. So Paul is making it clear that God has put salvation in us through the work of Jesus Christ, and we are now to work and grow in obedience to that. A part of our calling is this growth. So based on this passage then, how do we work out our salvation? Well, first, we grow in the image of Christ. Notice that the passage in verse 12 begins with, therefore. Therefore implies that there was an argument before this that's going to be important for us to know. Before verse 12, Paul has been making the case that before Jesus had come, Jesus was significant, he was special, he was fully God and he was fully man, yet he did not count his equality with God to mean that he didn't have to obey the Father's will in his life. Jesus was obedient. He was obedient to the Father in every single way. And so Paul is saying, therefore, you too should also strive to grow in obedience to the Lord. And so we do that by becoming to look more like the one who pointed the way for us, and that is Jesus Christ. Charles Spurgeon, when he was commenting on this text, described it this way. He said that a good sculptor, whenever he sees a suitable block of marble, firmly believes that there is a statue concealed within it. His business is but to take away the extra material and to so unveil the thing of beauty, which shall be a joy forever. And he says this, believer, you are that block of marble. You have been quarried by divine grace and set apart for the master's service, but we cannot see the image of Christ in you yet as we wish we could. So he says, take the chisel in hand, chip away the sins and the infirmities and begin in obedience so that we can begin to see that marble become the image of Christ. This is what it looks like to work out. Graduates, your professors, your bosses, they may not see Christ's likeness as a goal for your life, but God does. He sees it as a significant part of your calling. So how do we do this? We recognize it's a process. And so at the same time, we practice long-term obedience to God, long-term obedience. Notice in verse 12, Paul also says, as you have always obeyed, implying a, a pattern of obedience, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, show your obedience. You know, many of our graduates are gonna be moving away from their homes, moving away from their parents and their church and their pastors, just like Paul wasn't always there with them in the church of Philippi. But he's saying, even when you're in that situation, practice obedience, show this sort of lifestyle of faithfulness. So I would encourage you not to view the college years and the young adult years as an opportunity to set Jesus aside or to treat him like he was something from your childhood, but to value the faithfulness that you can show in those years during college. But he also encourages us to own our responsibility to grow personally. He says, we own our responsibility to grow personally. Notice Paul says to work out your own. Paul is saying there's a sense in which we are responsible for our growth in Christ, regardless of the environment we find ourselves in, regardless of the culture we find ourselves in, we are called to be 
obedient to Christ and to own, working out our own salvation. However, there's also a sense in which this verse isn't just personal. He says we should encourage one another to grow corporately, to grow corporately. This phrasing here, work out your own, Paul is actually using a plural, a plural phrase here. It's kind of like he's saying the word use or you all or y'all, depending on where you're from in our country. He's using that phrase, y'all, to say that this is something you do together. You're working out your salvation with one another. In our high school ministry, one of our three focuses is to help students own the responsibility of a daily walk with Christ. That doesn't stop when you graduate from high school. In many ways, it is going to increase and you're going to be called to do it with a body of believers and one another. This has significant application, graduates, if you're moving to a new city. Paul's view of Christian maturity and growth is one that's done with one another. And so even if you are moving somewhere new and you're entering a season of life that feels transient, like you're not really there, but you're in the college town, you might only be there for a season, Paul would encourage you to go and to find a local body of believers to plug in with, to grow alongside, even during those few years in college. So I would encourage you, your very first Sunday, make it a priority to go to church and to begin to be a part of a local body of believers. There's also a sense, though, which we might be thinking at this point. You might be thinking, just what I expected. All the sermons are usually a bunch of do more, a bunch of be better types of messages. But notice this is done from a posture, a posture not of joyless obedience, but of wisdom and worship. We work in a posture of wisdom and worship. It says that we work out our own salvation. Notice what it says after that, with fear and trembling. All throughout scripture, we see the word fear used to refer to living a life of wisdom before God. You can think of it this way. We are continually living our lives before a king, a king who has all the power, all the might, and all the glory. And if we were to do everything in front of him, it might show wisdom in the way we live. And there's this idea of trembling, of reverence, of worship as well. And so we don't just follow in obedience because we are told to do so, but we do so out of a state of worship for him. How many of you have ever made a really nice meal? You know, something with a lot of flavors and a lot of details, and it took a labor-intensive amount of time. Now, once you made that meal, and it's a rich meal, I would imagine that you honored that rich meal with rich plates, with an elegant spread, intentional time with one another, not in front of the TV, but at the table. Why? Because a rich meal leads to rich actions. A rich grace from Jesus Christ also leads us to a rich obedience done in wisdom and worship. But we're not alone in this. Notice Paul says that God is at work in us. God is at work in us for his will and his good pleasure. God's work in us gives us power. Notice in verse 13, it says, God is at work in you. God is the one who will bring this work to completion. Yes, we work, but he supplies the will, the desire, and the strength that we need along the way. Paul regularly points this out throughout scripture that he works, but God's grace in him. For example, in 1 Corinthians 15, 10, Paul says this, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Paul is pointing out, I worked hard, 
but it was the grace of God within me. God gives us the power. But we also notice God's work in us gives us purpose. It's God's good pleasure. It's his delight to see us grow to maturity. God would love nothing more than to see us to look more like Jesus Christ. The places in scripture we see God's will gives us clarity on our purpose. And we see here that God's will is for us to grow in obedience to him. And so that helps us to know what his will is for our lives. So as a part of your commission, graduates, is to grow spiritually. That in your college years, you wouldn't just grow in knowledge. You wouldn't just grow in skills. You wouldn't just obtain a degree. But that during your season of life, whether you're starting your career or you're on a college campus, you would see that as an opportunity to grow in Christ-likeness and not neglect that growth. The growth of God, though, is pleasing to him and it's pleasing to his will because as we grow to look like Christ, we will begin to shine in a dark world. Look with me again at verse 14. It says, do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. As we look like Christ, we will shine in a dark world. We are to shine as lights in a dark, crooked, and twisted generation. Notice in verse 15, Paul says that we are to be lights, but we are in the midst of a people who are twisted. Another word for that would be perverted, who have gone astray, who have abandoned the truth, have gone the wayward direction. Paul says that about the people of his day, But Moses also said this about the people of his day. Jesus also said this about the people of his day. The early church fathers would say this about the people in their generation. The reformers would say this about the people in their generation. And I think many of us would probably say the same about the people in our generation today. You see, the twisting, the perverting, that is not new. What is new is sometimes the way in which those twists come to us the way in which things deviate. Sometimes that changes on us, but in the same way that there's always been twisting, there has always been a faithful line of believers in Jesus Christ who have been a light and a witness to their generation. And I hope the same for this graduating class. I hope that you too will be a light to your generation for the glory of God. Paul gives us a few pointers on how we can do this. He says, we shine like Christ when we avoid grumbling and disputing Our attitude towards the responsibilities of life, towards the education we're receiving, the job we are working, the church we are serving, that attitude, if it's one of bitterness or um, grumbling or displeasure, in many ways, that's going to be a negative example of the gospel inside of us. But if we are to show that we value peace and reconciliation with one another, that we have a love for one another, that will be a light to our generation. And so Paul is saying, avoid this grumbling, avoid this disputing so that you can look like Christ. We also though shine like Christ when we seek purity. Paul mentions to be blameless and innocent like children of God, that we would not have blemish, that we would be pure. You know, the purer the diamond, the greater it shines anyways. The bowl that is washed on the inside and the outside is going to shine nice and bright. Paul is calling us in the same way to value purity because it is a part of our witness to others. You know, you might be going, graduates, to a college campus 
where purity is seen as this old, outdated concept. They might say purity is, it's no longer important. That in fact, some people might even believe that purity is a, a leftover idea from oppressive religions like Christianity. They might tell you something like that. They might think purity is not valuable. In fact, they might even tell you something like having a sexual freedom, that purity restricts your sexual freedom, which stands in the way of you being truly human and truly free. However, what you'll find is students who take that attitude, who have that approach to life, by the time they graduate, many of them will be carrying around significant scars significant wounds and significant disappointments because there was no freedom where they've promised it. You know, in many ways, the serpent has always tried to present purity as something that's restrictive and sin as something that is freeing. But every time we take that bite of the apple, we find that freedom was not on the other side, but it was actually more change and more scars and so purity is something we should value and hopefully it will be a light to others that, that way by the time you graduate, those students who weren't valuing purity would see the light in you. They would see the gospel in you. And by God's grace, some of your friends, some of your classmates would come to know the Lord Jesus as well by your example. We also though shine like Christ when we cling to the gospel. Notice in verse 16, Paul connects holding fast to the word of life with the command to shine as lights in the world. What are the words of life? Well, the words of life are the message of good news, the message, the life-saving news that Jesus Christ gave, that he came and died on the cross, that he paid the price for our sins and he rose again so that we could have new life. That is the words of life. We are to cling to that. We are to cling to the gospel. In many ways, it's like, Holding fast to the gospel is like a coast guard holding fast to their light while they're in the midst of a deep, dark ocean and they're in the waves. As the rescue team grips their light, they do so for their own benefit so that they can find their own way, but they grip to the light as well, that way that those who are in the waters, who are lost, who are drowning in the deep, dark depths of the ocean may find their way home. And when we cling to the gospel, we are going to be lights that will help others to find their way as well. So I would encourage you to cling to the gospel. Romans 1.16 says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. It is possible that some of you have been listening today and that you've felt that this calling of Christ-likeness is too much to bear that it's too hard, it's too challenging, you're all too human, you're all too weak, you're aware of your sins and your shortcomings. Fortunately, God knows that. God knows we have weaknesses, that we're not perfect. The Bible describes Christians as clay jars. A clay jar is weak, it's not significant in and of itself. It's brittle and all those sorts of things. But you know what the Bible also says about those clay jars? is that there's a treasure inside of them. God has worked a treasure in us. That treasure is the gospel. That treasure is the image of Jesus Christ. And as we grow in Christ likeness, we'll find that that clay jar begins to display Christ to others. And they begin to see the treasure that God has worked in you. Not because we're anything special, but all because God is at work in us. 
and to him be all the glory. So let me remind you today, we celebrate and we commission. The commission given to you, class of 2023, is that by God's power, I would encourage you to work to look like Christ so that you may shine in a dark world. Join me in a word of prayer. God, thank you for this class. Thank you for the opportunity to praise you this morning. I pray that you would encourage us, you would help us to hold fast to you, that you would continue a work in our lives and that we would see it as a part of our calling to grow into the image of Jesus so that in the midst of a twisted and crooked generation, we may be lights for your son. In your name we pray, amen.